Berylum Sports. Hello and welcome to your sportscast on your Saturday evening. We're here from six through seven. This is Tony Rice alongside the machine, Jason McKenna. And in the second sportscast of the fresh new year, 2021's upon us. Hooray! And I'm excited, as always, to be dissecting, debating and analysing a sporting topic of your choosing, because it's your show. Each and every single bit of as much as it is as. And this one feels eminently appropriate, given that we are in the early phases of 2021. You have selected for us to consider the sporting calendar, some of the highlights of the sporting calendar for the year 2021. And I'm knocking on wood that the global situation, the pandemic will allow these to come to pass. But just for a moment, let's be positive. Why the devil not? And let's assume the best. And let's give you a wonderful steer through some of the choice highlights of the 2021 sporting calendar. And with that being said, I'm delighted now to welcome to Sportscast for the first time in 2021, my colleague, the Radio Verum legend, the machine, Jason McKenna. Jason, welcome to uh, Sportscast tonight and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you too, Tony. And, you know, it, we're starting the year as we mean to go on. We're making another great podcast here talking all about sport. And I think it's right to get excited because in the news we do see about the vaccine. So I think it will make a lot of these calendar events more possible. And again, as always on social media, this is why it is your show. We've been sent in quite a few messages about what events you're looking forward to in 2021 and one of the big ones that quite a few people message in about was obviously Wimbledon which sadly got cancelled this year Um, totally cancelled unlike other tennis events which did carry on in some vein or form it just so happened that it coincided with the peak and hopefully we will see some form of Wimbledon this year then lots of people have messaged about the F1 Uh, They're looking forward to the return of the British Grand Prix on British soil, but being able to attend. And the general gist of a lot of this, and I think, you know, maybe not going into too many at the moment, not to spoil what we're going to talk about later, but the general gist is people are looking forward just going back to matches, going back to events. Yeah, That's the overarching story that everybody's looking forward to with 2021 the events are great themselves you know people have said champions league final uh who's going to win the premier league all these kinds of events fa cup as well which is normally firm fixture but the big overarching message amongst fans amongst our listeners has been i can't wait to just go back you know even if it's down to the local club our wonderful saints or if it's to a wembley final (laughs) fa cup final you know uh, people don't really mind They, they just want to get back in the stands and I'm sure that's something that you're really excited for as well Tony oh of course it is Jason I tell you what I've really enjoyed over Christmas getting your fantastic anecdotes of some of your early experiences of as a football fan as a gunner to be particular and specific there um but again of course it's one of the areas isn't it that makes sports so unique I talk about it all the time the theater of sports and obviously, I'm biased here. Clearly, I'm a massive lover and a passionate sports fan. But for me, live sports, when you've got the thrill of 
the crowd, the real close-up action, which is really when you truly appreciate the artistry, the fitness, the finesse of elite-level sports. It truly is spectacular. And again, that, as, the, as you identify, and it's great to have had people engaging with us, it's always appreciated, applies right from the uber elite right down to grassroots and local level sport, which, of course, we always massively champion. Again, really appreciate your input as always. It is your show each and every single bit as much as it is ours. So for your own personal highlights of the 2021 sporting calendar, do get involved. Tweet us at Verum Sport. You can find us across Twitter. Twitter. You can also locate us on uh, Facebook and indeed, as so many people do, share your views in a more extended fashion via email. Email us to sports at radioverulum.com. Keep involved. It is your show. Every single bit as much as it is as. Uh, Jason, before I swing it back to you to uh, give us your first pick, your first highlight of the jam-packed 2021 sporting calendar, I want to give a big shout out to the first world champion of the year. It's always at the PDC darts, uh, literally on New Year's Day. Uh, massive, massive respect to Gerwin Price, the ex-rugby pro turned darts master. He became world number one as well as lifting aloft the PDC title when he beat uh, two-time champion himself in Gary Anderson, seven to three. Three Again, sadly, with no fans in attendance, uh, but over at the wonderful Ali Pali, big up respect to Gerwin Price for being the world champion in darts and indeed the very first champion of 2021. Always find that a, a cool thing to have or be. So yeah, with that being said, Jason, what is going to build on that? What other world champions, what other exciting sporting events have you earmarked for us? Yeah, so the first one that I want to start off with is actually the F1 championship uh, this year. I think this one's going to be a big one in terms of maybe uh, the, the Drivers' Championship. That There's no doubt that obviously Lewis Hamilton is going to be up there as the favourite or one of the favourites. But what I like most this year is there's big, big driver changes. So there's going to be a lot of teams with mm. new drivers. I think another... Thing that is really going to maybe concentrate the pack and might make for more competitive racing is the fact that there are no changes in the rules so that obviously teams can cope with COVID and testing uh, and all these sorts of things. But now it means that teams don't have to concentrate on new rules. They can just concentrate on catching Mercedes. So Hamilton can break more records. I don't think we really need to go into that, but I think... One of the ones that I no. wanted to start off on, and Antonio, I know you, you fairly follow F1, so we can pick your brains about each and every one of these points. But the first one that I wanted to talk about actually was Perez might finally be the driver to be there with Verstappen and make Red Bull go that extra mile. I think we've seen for far too long that Verstappen is obviously one of the best young drivers on the grid his his records are ridiculous and he will probably be vying there with Hamilton you know in years to come as the world driving champion and I mean in terms of records you know he's so so young already and he's already got so many wins under his belt but Perez Checo Perez who almost inexplicably was kicked from Aston Martin F1 team but we know the politics there that Lance Stroll 
is funded by his father and his father owns the team mm. so he wasn't going to lose his place and Aston Martin F1 are, are looking at Sebastian Vettel as you know a former world champion and thinking licking their lips and going we can have him on our team so Perez making that move over to Red Bull makes them a more competitive side but would you say as well Tony that it might improve Verstappen even more as a driver finally having a competitive finally having a real quality second driver in the other Red Bull car yeah it's a great shout Jason and absolutely answer that is no doubt about it love Verstappen uh, for me he has shades of Hamilton to him in that aggressive and I use that word in a very positive sense kind of driving attitude uh, almost we've spoken about Senna haven't we and Senna said in the great documentary that I know you uh, love and have referenced in the past that if you don't have that spirit to overtake to take risks then in Senna's words paraphrasing you're no longer an F1 driver and Verstappen has that in spades um, I think he's going to be well-placed. Checo, though, as uh, Perez is nicknamed, is a talented uh, young man, but he's been around for a while. Uh, one of those that's always kind of uh, shown ability, shown capability. Um, he's obviously got a victory one last year at the Sakir Grand Prix, for instance. Uh, very capable. I think he will be the number two. Very much, I think, it's still Verstappen's team. But the beauty of F1, Jason, as you know better than I do, is that it is a team sport. And sometimes we see that uh, playing out in ways that feel a little nefarious, not, not often, but ultimately irrespective of that. If you've got a strong one-two, then you're going to be always more competitive, always driving yourself forward, literally speaking. So, yeah, Jason, I think that's going to massively, massively enhance uh, Red Bull's proposition. And I'm already excited for Verstappen, a massive, massive fan of his capabilities. Uh, just quickly, Jason, because I know you've got a whole heap more to uh, inform us about the upcoming F1 season. And you're dead right. We've, we've referenced Stevenage's own Lewis Hamilton, sir. Lewis Hamilton to give him his official title now. Congratulations and well earned. Don't think there's any need to say anything further other than gooding for eight. Good luck in that, uh, Sir Lewis Hamilton. But quickly, Jason, he's yet to sign, has he? So is there any possibility, you think, that the, uh, the whole world of F1 will be shocked and that Lewis Hamilton gunning for that eighth and record-setting title will be doing so in a different seat? I, I don't think so, because all the competitive teams have their seats filled. Uh, Red Bull, Ferrari, uh, even down to McLaren, every other team is basically sorted. Uh, I think one of the things that was holding him back was whether Toto Wolff would be there next season. Um, and we know mm -hmm. how clever Hamilton is in terms of seeing the futures of teams because people questioned whether he should have made that McLaren to Mercedes move. You know, McLaren had been at the top for so many seasons and then all of a sudden he could kind of see that they were falling off the pedestal and saw what was being created at Mercedes. So I think Toto Wolff is almost part and parcel of that agreement I think Hamilton was a little bit worried because Nicky Lauda obviously sadly passed away and he was he was an incredible kind of lead at the team there as well. He, he might have been thinking at the back of his mind, well, if Lauda goes, 
because obviously he, he had no choice, he passed away. If Toto Wolff leaves and moves into a different area, then why do I stay at Mercedes? The car is very competitive, but maybe I might be able to push that a little bit elsewhere. Um, but also at his age and, and everything like that, realistically, would he want to have to adapt to a new team, a new drive? Mm -hmm. So I think he is going to stay at Mercedes and th there's going to be no shocks. We're not going to have a Rosberg situation where he suddenly retires out of the blue <laughs> as well. Uh, fair enough. But as I say, until the uh, the, ink is, the ink is drying on a contract, it still does remain for people such as I to pose these very questions. I uh, <laughs> tell you what, I love a bit of F1 and it is thrilling. And I know you've got an awful lot more to uh, drill into. Keep going, Jason. What else is exciting you well, about this uh, returning F1 uh, all too soon? Well, you're talking about ink drying on the paper. And one of the amazing, amazing things is obviously Daniel Ricciardo was the big name acquisition for Renault a couple of seasons ago. And the ink has hardly dried in his contract before he's gone over to McLaren. Now, this is going to be a great one because, as I mentioned there with Hamilton, McLaren have kind of taken their foot off the pedal. There was a lot of problems there where they were almost old school. They were too wrapped up in, in old methodologies and they really needed an overhaul and almost the, the face of that is Lando Norris, young, fresh face driver, but the whole team the backroom staff at McLaren were overhauled as well, so this is where we've seen improvements at the side so Lando Norris is I don't know if Ricardo and Norris will be treated as 1 and 2 or 1 and 1 um, there's always is a, a preference towards certain drivers and realistically Ricardo should be number one in terms of you know his experience and his qualities but mm -hmm. Norris is banging on the door of somebody like Ricardo and you know if they treat them with equal respect then you know th there's no reason why they shouldn't so Ricardo Norris and McLaren I think are going to be a thorn in the side of the bigger teams Hopefully they can improve the car just a little bit more because McLaren have been competitive in some races. I think efficiency mm -hmm. and certain things have cost Lando Norris. And we will see if that car can be you know, pushing for maybe a constructor's third, fourth place. They might be sniffing down the neck of Red Bull, Ferrari. I mean, the, the Mercedes car has been so far ahead in recent years that it's almost yeah. been the best of the rest kind of vying it out and talking of one of the best of the rest talking of McLaren obviously Carlos Sainz is moving away from them and first question to you Tony we'll go through this now though but is Sainz going to regret the decision of signing for Ferrari because you look at how good McLaren have been this year you look at how poor Ferrari have been and also frankly their disrespect towards Sebastian Vettel we forget you know sometimes that he was a four-time world championship driver I think Ferrari really forgot that is Sainz going to be looking now over his shoulder and thinking god Norris and Ricardo Norris has been a fantastic teammate McLaren might actually do better Again, Jason, I really uh, find that a fascinating question. And as always, invite you to engage with us, your thoughts ahead of the F1 returning season. I'm sure it's going to be high hot 10, and I'm sure you've got exciting views. Tweet us at Verulam Sport. Email in sport at radioverulam.com. Uh, Carlos Sainz, highly rated driver. Again, great shouts here. Uh, he's actually cited himself, though, saying it's going to be tough 
to make his F1 debut with limited testing in his new car uh, for this new season at Ferrari. It's going to be a challenge, isn't it, for every driver? Um, for me, I'm keen that he proves that a successful season for Ferrari, uh, only in the sense that historically they are such a big name. Uh, they're such a team that's always been pushing boundaries. Of course, uh, Michael Schumacher achieved so many of his great F1 successes at the famous Italian uh, Ferrari uh, drive. So, yeah, I'm kind of, for those reasons, hoping that Sainz is able to uh, maybe defy the odds and overhaul recent heritage, recent years' performance for the Ferraris and maybe steal a march on some of the other teams. But it has been a fallow period for the Ferrari team, hasn't it? And I think it will face a challenge because, as you say, Jason, there's not even the opportunity really to innovate uh, it has to be kind of dealt with the similar kind of packages that they were massively outclassed at in this 2020 season. So you can't really imagine a dramatic improvement. But uh, I guess based on that, do you think Sainz has enough class, enough driver skill to be something of an X factor, one to watch? Yes, it's a great question. I mean, Carlos Sainz is a very talented driver. And the the question that I would ask myself first is, if I was an F1 driver, obviously the allure of going to Ferrari is one thing that you kind of almost can't turn down. It's like in football, Real Madrid kind of knocking at your door uh, or, or Barcelona or something like that. And so I don't blame him for going there. But then when you look at the standings of the championship last season, Ferrari weren't second, they weren't third, they weren't fourth, they weren't even fifth. They came sixth in the Constructors' Championship. Uh, Charles Leclerc was their best driver, but they became 50 points behind Renault. And I wouldn't say it was a vintage year at all for Renault. They they mm. barely kind of scrapped ahead of Alfa Tori. I mean, this is embarrassing stuff. So... As a driver now, yeah. I would probably say, first of all, has Sainz made the right decision? Obviously, Ferrari have probably equal financial power as McLaren. But again, it's what you do with your money that counts. You know, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the Ferrari team obviously have a great kind of factory and, and spend ridiculous money on getting that F1 car to work. But it hasn't worked since Schumacher's left. And in terms of Carlos's own qualities himself, so first of all, I'm questioning whether he's made the right career choice. But himself, out of 119 entries to F1 races, he doesn't have any wins. So there's that element of mm. almost, does he have the ability to finesse in the final laps? Does he have the ability to keep calm if he's at the front of a race? He's got two podiums, uh, no pole positions and one fastest lap. He's obviously fairly kind of raced for, for quite a few years. He, he was test driver yeah. for Red Bull in 2013. He made his way from Toro Rosso 2015 over to Ferrari now. Six years in racing, so he started at age 20. But in those six years, I wouldn't say he's really impressed me that much. And... 
my question probably is is maybe he's joined the team where he's number one at McLaren and now he's going to be the understudy to a very young driver but fiercely talented much like Verstappen at Leclerc maybe he's happy with that situation maybe he's happy just to be at Ferrari but for me I think it's a very very strange move and the big winner out of this is actually Danny Ricciardo who has gone to Renault to replace him so I think it's probably one of the poorest decisions but then Tony I'm sure you're going to come back at me and say but it's Ferrari and I get you it is Ferrari um, but Fernando Alonso, Vettel, Kimi Raikkonen, these are all brilliant drivers. They're, they're not just good. These are some of, you know, the best around, the best in history. They all couldn't make it work apart from Kimi Raikkonen with one driver's championship between the lot of them. I mean, that that speaks for itself that I, as a driver, wouldn't want to join Ferrari till something was sorted out there. I mean, would, do you agree with that, Tony? Listen, Jason, I think you're making brilliant points and there's so much exciting F1 uh, discussions to be had. Um, we'll keep you abreast of the F1 campaign throughout the season when it gets underway. Looking forward to, uh, as one of the listeners uh, picked out, the return of Silverstone for this campaign. But just quickly, Jason, again, conscious that there is so much still to discuss on tonight's uh, 2021 sporting calendar instantiation of Sportscast. Here for you until 7pm. But just quickly, Jason, and again, I think you and I could uh, pontificate on this one for hours upon end. So just keep this nice and focused here's the question we've mentioned ferrari there you can't have an f1 chat um without discussing the legendary michael schumacher but how exciting his son mick schumacher is going to enter the fray this year round signs for the team haas you would not really have high expectations given the motor that he's driving for but I'm a naive idealist. I'm on a romantic in a way. How interesting could it be? Is it even possible to imagine young Schumacher defending the Schumacher name and circumventing Sir uh, Lewis Hamilton from achieving that eighth and record-breaking crowd? Briefly, your thoughts on the opportunities facing young uh, Mick Schumacher. It's a great story. It was one of my next points, actually, about the drivers coming in to F1 this season. I mean, Haas themselves, I think they do well with, with what they manage with. But the, the funny thing for me is obviously Haas, uh, along with uh, the other team, Alfa Romeo, are kind of almost the, the baby team of Ferrari because Haas run with the Ferrari engine. Yep. And so... I always thought that, you know, he was going to move up into a Ferrari car one day, and this is probably the right methodology to do it. Charles Leclerc did his time uh, at Alfa Romeo, and he did so fantastically well that they couldn't kind of overlook that. And in that Alfa, similar car to a Haas, he, he did amazing bits. So, you know, Tony, I don't think it's out there that he could be in the points or nearly in the points quite often. I don't think he'll be uh, vying for firsts and seconds just yet. But then we did see some crazy moments uh, this season with the Alpha uh, Tauri team, you know, doing quite well as well. So it, it's quite interesting, the points, you know, the Red Bull kind of mini team as well, picking up points through the season. In fact, 107 mm -hmm. in total. So, 
it's not out there. Um, like I said from the start, that if these teams almost concentrate and do some really good research and development, Haas, you know, might be performing the same as a, a poor Ferrari, and that would be quite fascinating to see. I just have my fingers crossed because it would be great to see the Schumacher lineage continue. And I think I'll I'll probably shed a tear if it happens, if Mick Schumacher and they say Schumacher wins an F1 race, you know, just it will be such a flood of emotions, such, you know, bringing us back to the good old days. So the final points that I wanted to bring up, and I'm sure you'll be uh, giving an opinion on this, Tony, but I'm both excited to see Fernando Alonso back, mm. but also disappointed that a younger driver wasn't given an opportunity. I don't know if that's... Mm almost being a little bit rude to Fernando because, again, much like Vettel, his career was really jeopardised by what happened at Ferrari. He then, you know, tried to, to make it at McLaren, but Alonso, maybe similar to Sainz, uh, has not made very good career choices. He moved to McLaren just as they were regressing. Then he moved to Ferrari as they were going through a terrible patch. He moved to McLaren uh, again. Renault, you know, he, he, he bounced between all these teams. And I think he worked hard with the McLaren team. He gave up. He lost his love of F1. And now he's mm -hmm. returning to the sport. And I get, you know, we've seen people return to the sport in Prost, uh, who who did fantastic work. Uh, Nicky Lauda did the same. But I don't know if Alonso's the right choice. If I was looking at Renault, I would say build for your future. You build the car uh, around mm -hmm. a new young driver. And I don't know if, if Alonso's the right temperament for building or working with the team because... We've seen that he, he is quite an emotive person. He likes things his own way. And he's not going to play second fiddle to a young driver if Renault go with that in the future. I would have taken a gamble and maybe... Instead... Indeed, that was exactly the model, wasn't it, in uh, Hamilton's first season? Exactly. Uh, where the then exactly. two-time ch uh, defending champion uh, almost wanted to be the dominant force uh, as you uh, at um, McLaren then, and Hamilton came in with such a boom, only lost out that year, I think in 07, by one point to actually claim his uh, debut season, debut F1 crown. Um, Jason, it's a brilliant question. It truly is. Haven't really got the time, unfortunately, to delve into it too much. What I will say is this much. Again, Alonso is a two-time F1 champ. So he has that pedigree. He has that credit, if you would. Um, I'm not entirely convinced this is a good shout for all parties. We've noticed you made some great uh, observations about legends of the sport, Prost, Lauder, who have returned positively. For me, in my head, in terms of temperament and uh, where I envisage it going, I'm considering it more of a Montoya, which did not work out, really. Uh, I'd be surprised if this time next year we are eulogizing about the successes of Montoya. We'll, uh, sorry, uh, Alonso. We'll find out, of course. Uh, he has that skill. He has proven world champion pedigree. I'm not sure or convinced about it. One thing I do know for sure, and I'm utterly convinced about, though, is that you will want to stick tuned to 92.6 FM throughout your Saturday evening. Coming up after we go off the airwaves, 7 p.m., it's the wonderful uh, music hour, the music mega mix 
seven through eight, an eclectic array of diverse music from all eras, all genres. Truly, you're going to find something that you will love. Seven through eight, the music hour, the music mega mix. After which, the ever cool Dave Ellis will provide you the soul show. Everything that you need from the world of soul, blues and R&B. He is a true maestro at what he does. Always salute the work of Dave Ellis and know you're going to enjoy the soul show tonight. After which, keep a date with 92.6 FM and stick tuned to my friend, the godfather, Derek Staines, on Saturday at a late day, 10 through midnight simply world-class broadcasting great tunes and something for you to keep entertained with on your saturday evening so make sure you keep a date with 92.6 fm radio verulam and also keep a date with us because as well as being here till 7 p.m we'll be back for you each and every saturday six through seven always with a sporting debate and top uh, a topic of your choosing and right now I get to choose my first highlight of the 2021 sporting calendar. And I'm already excited for it. I can barely wait. It is literally just around the corner. Super Bowl 55. Can't wait. So the playoffs are upon us. So it's playoff football. And that means knockout football. And uh, 14 teams will be whittled down to two. And then, like Highlander, there can only be one. Uh, the Super Bowl is February the 7th at the Raymond James Stadium. Wonderful Raymond James Stadium at Tampa Bay, Florida. Um, no team has ever played a Super Bowl in their own stadium. But with Tom Brady and his books in playoff action tonight, uh, or sorry, tomorrow, uh, hosting the Washington football team, this remains a possibility. Brady, of course, is going for his seventh um, Super Bowl crown. His six is an all-time record for a QB. Absolutely phenomenal career. And the evergreen Tom Brady is still going strong. Can he lead Tampa Bay to making history and performing at the Raymond James Stadium, Tampa Bay's own home stadium, on February the 7th? Just a real quick stat when it comes to Tom Brady. Again, they're in action against the Washington football team tomorrow evening in playoff football. Tom Brady has 30 victories in his career at playoff action level. The Washington football team, which in the 80s, early 90s, was a bit of a dynasty in their whole history, which dates back to 1932. 1932 was the origins of the Washington football team. And in all that time... They can only boast as a team, as an organization, 30, uh, 23, 23 uh, victories at the playoff level. So Brady going for his 31st playoff win on Sunday has more all time than the whole Washington uh, organization. Unreal. Tell you what, I love the Super Bowl. One of the things I absolutely appreciate about it is, again, as well as the high octane uh, impact phenomenal action on the pitch it is an overall entertainment bonanza and look out for the weekend three-time grammy award winning the weekend playing the halftime show that's going to be special it always is and i just want to give everybody a word to the wise if you ever just want to be thrilled 
bang into YouTube or find it across uh, the, the internet. The Prince's Halftime Show, God rest his soul. Prince's Halftime Show, back from 2007. One of the most spectacular 15, 20 minutes of overall entertainment that I've ever witnessed. Truly astonishing. The weekend are stepping into those shoes at the weekend of February the 7th for the Super Bowl again at Raymond James Stadium. And I tell you, I can hardly wait. I love the Super Bowl. I love NFL. Um, and I also love the uh, rigmarole that comes with it, which is, of course, includes an awful lot of feasting. Just in America alone, 100 million Americans will consume a staggering 2,400 calories each on Super Bowl Sunday. There's going to be an estimated 14 billion hamburgers consumed, a meager 1.33 billion chicken wings, 10 million pounds of ribs. And I'm not talking about pounds sterling, but pounds the weight. 10 million pounds of ribs will be grilled on Super Bowl Sunday. There's going to be 12.5 million pizzas consumed if everything's uh, to go by in recent action and 50 million cases of beer consumed by Americans alone on Super Bowl Sunday. I won't be able to get anywhere near that much, but you can rest assured that yours truly will enjoy something of a Super Bowl snack and feast of fun. The Super Bowl is one of the biggest sporting events in any calendar year. It's broadcast to over 130 countries in over 30 languages and um, is remains consistently the most watched TV broadcast in the States each year, with an estimated global audience over 150 million. Can't wait. Get it in your diaries. If you've never seen the Super Bowl, if you've never experienced NFL, uh, check out podcasts that we do with Andy Dickens. There's one live now previewing the playoffs. He's a guru. He's from the wonderful Hertfordshire Cheaters. Uh, but I always say this much, give it a chance, pick a team, follow that team, you'll fall in love with it, you truly will. And I can barely wait, Jason, for Super Bowl 55 on Sunday, February the 7th. Briefly, your thoughts, uh, can you share a little bit of my excitement for the Super Bowl? Yes, so Tony, I always Hello, love... Jason. Uh, yes, so Tony, I always love that there's... There's this amazing kind of the the Super Bowl isn't just for the Super Bowl, is it? It's it's almost like a a play. It is true entertainment because you have the football field, but then there's these amazing stories, almost like the anecdotes that I've told to you about going to the Highbury Stadium. But it's a tradition. It's it's part of the culture of the show. And hopefully fans will be there to enjoy it. I think one of the amazing ideas that I actually heard this week is instead of having fans there, they're going to have vaccinated workers, healthcare workers there to the stadium, which I think in of itself, it, it just it, it puts me in awe of, of the amazing work that these healthcare workers have done. And I think they truly deserve something special like that if they can arrange that. Um, so, yeah, I, I get excited for the Super Bowl because it's it's one of those days where it does take all day as well or all night because obviously we're a few hours uh, different to America. But 
it's it's all about the fun of it and there's people that do special recipes they do yep. loads of fun things with their food they make like a field of play out of chips and dips and and celery sticks it's it's all part of the fun and i think one of the things that comes closest to it which i've mentioned already is the fa cup final here in mm -hmm. england but there's just this little extra element that the super bowl has to it it's it's almost mythologized now in sports culture of how unique but how amazing it is as well and you know my my question to you about it is what is on the menu for you tony when you tuck in to super bowl i mean we're talking about food there will it be pizza will it be chicken wings you know those those are important questions for everybody as well yeah absolutely i can tell you I, again um almost certainly if anything last year to go by and the years before uh it's going to be me and a few friends and there's going to be plenty of pizza, plenty of ribs, and plenty of chicken wings as well. Uh, perhaps a few uh, alcoholic beverages also consumed. I won't guarantee that. Uh, but I, I just love for it, Jason. I always make sure that I book the following Monday off work uh, to truly give it its uh, mega effect. It's a big day in my calendar. I've been a massive fan of the NFL since I watched the 49ers beats. Uh, I want to say the the um, San Diego Chargers from back in 1994, uh, where Steve Young was supreme and the Niners won out that day. Uh, I've followed the Niners through thick and thin since then. It's been a very uh, challenging year for them, this campaign, not making the playoffs. But that's my point. Pick a team. You'll fall in love with it. And if, if, if and only if you check out the Super Bowl, get it in your calendars. Sunday, February the 7th. Uh, have some fun. Get some friends around. Uh, and you will fall in love with NFL. I'm sure you will. Um, but, um, you know, Jason, there's so many exciting other events in the calendar year 2021. What else have you got for us to mark out to make sure we're not going to miss? Well, just quickly before we move on, Tony, because I think you've hit a really nice point there of obviously we're not in America as, as British listeners. So how did you pick your American football team here? Because, you know, you do talk about them all the time with uh, you know, Andy Dickens, who is fantastic at donating his time for, for Verulam Sport to talk about it. And, and your podcasts are brilliant at opening out this sport to a British audience. But how did you go about picking your team? And, and maybe a fun way for, for us to join in and, and pick a team ourselves? You know, it's a really good question. And we're going back many years now, like I say, 1994. And it's, Quite frankly, at that time, I was just 10 years of age. So I basically did what most young people do. And at the time, um, the 49ers were, they were uh, one of the best teams. Dallas had won it the year before, um, but for some reason, they just didn't appeal. But I was just always impressed by Steve Young, the QB. And QB is kind of the stellar position. And if a lot of people are new to NFL, obviously I'm sure the name Tom Brady will resonate, bidding for a seventh crown. He's back with Tampa Bay, having won well, his six with New England. But check out Mahomes for the defending Kansas City Chiefs. He's taking the position of QB and taking it to even higher levels. Just such natural flair, such imagination. They're the defending champs. They're going to be tough to beat. Um, but basically, Jason, 
the 49ers were the team and I, I kind of like them. They also happen to have one of the most legendary players of all time who remains the, you know, he's got, I think, over 14 records to his name, possibly even more. I'm talking about the great San Francisco 49ers wide receiver, the Hall of Famer, Jerry Rice. And so when you've got the best player in football and his surname is Rice, they're pretty uh, gosh darn good team. It just felt natural for me to follow the 49ers. And I have to say, though, um, I've followed them ever since. And they've been highs, they've been lows. They were uh, beaten Super Bowl finalists a few seasons back. Um, you know, they're always there or thereabouts. But they've never quite got back to that dynasty era, which was amazing. They had literally two of the greatest QBs uh, transitioning from Joe Montana, who is a Hall of Famer, slightly preceded my time uh, as a fan, but I've since watched him in footage. Um, he's been associated with so many great successes for the 49ers. And then into Steve Young that I mentioned, who it was the QB back in 94 when the Niners won it my first year, really, as a true fan. It was sensational. But yeah, if you're watching, if you're looking for flash and exciting high octane play, you want to be checking out what the QBs are up to. And there are some of the best in the league all time at the moment doing their thing, not least um, the MVP favorite defending Super Bowl champ Mahomes. But also watch out also for Green Bay Packers' Aaron Rodgers. Um, great story about him, just quickly. Um, they actually signed uh, in free agency this year, the Green Bay Packers in the draft, uh, very high up, I think it was their first selection, a QB. Aaron Rodgers is getting on. I think he's into his mid to late 30s, but still plenty of career ahead of him. And that seemed to really fire him up. And he's also put up massive numbers this year, vying for uh, MVP against uh, Mahomes. And that battle, whilst there's no guarantee, it will at the moment the number one uh, pick, the number one uh, ranked team in the AFC is Mahomes and the Chiefs. The number one ranked team in the NFC is Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. So it's unlikely because these things rarely pan out like this. But if it follows that those two number one ranked teams make it through the playoffs, they will collide on Super Bowl Sunday. And I got to tell you, that will be a spectacular affair. But long story short, you want to view anybody you watch at this playoff level are high caliber. So maybe make it this very first weekend that you get involved with it. It's knockout football. Simply select one of these sides, perhaps, and then stick to them. You won't go wrong. But yeah, Jason, great question. But moving on now, what else in our 2021 calendar is exciting you? <laughs> well, maybe it shouldn't be counted as world because it's not quite the world event. It's just European based, you know, no biggie. It's Euro 2021. We're going to be looking at that for the moment because I think there's a lot of discussion points on this one as well. You know, we talked yeah. there about the, the F1 championship, how it's going to be uh, a very unique one next season with a lot of, frankly, drivers changes, a lot of drama. But moving on to the football, and for me, what I love about this, along with the World Cup, is the Euros is kind of everybody gets involved. You know, you, you're talking about mm -hmm. mothers, grandmothers, children. It transcends the fact that it is football. This is one of the footballing events where people talk about it in the community, especially if England do well. What saddens me a little bit is, on a personal reason, 
I was hoping to cross off uh, a bucket list goal of attending a Euro final because it was going to be at mm. Wembley. I was looking forward to maybe securing tickets. I know that they would have been gold dust. I know it would have been hard to, but that was a bucket list thing. But probably not to be now with coronavirus, with empty stadiums. But fingers crossed, maybe things will change and we will have a Euros with fans. But one of the other fascinating foibles of this was obviously it was supposed to be last year, so it's 50 years of the mm-hmm. the Euros. It was a special anniversary kind of Euros that was going to be held across all of Europe. So there was no single host. It was going to be at Baku. It was going to be in Germany, France, England. And Wembley was holding the semifinals and the finals. And that was what... I, I was... think it still does, though, span 12 major cities, doesn't it? Yes, so obviously... It's change up a little bit, but this is a really fun idea. I think this is actually a great idea for a tournament. Obviously, there's the travel element, but then when you think about it, mm-hmm. you know, when teams have to go up north to, you know, from Arsenal to play Liverpool or even to Newcastle, some of them fly, and the luxury of the the aeroplanes and the buses that they have now. It shouldn't be too much of a problem, realistically. So the travel lag and and things like that shouldn't be too bad. But yeah, I I was dead excited about seeing this unique way of doing the Euros. And maybe if this could almost help countries as well, because we see the lag and leftover cost of a lot of countries investing in infrastructure and, and stadiums and buildings, you know, places that maybe might not have been able to afford, similar to the Olympics, similar to a World Cup, may not have been able to afford a tournament, but they want the prestige of it there. And this might offset the cost and maybe the ecological damage that putting too much into football might do. But the first thing that we have to talk about is are England stronger for the fact that the Euros are one year on. Now, we actually did a debate about this a little bit earlier in 2020. I don't know if you've got firmer answers to those questions, but I'm actually leaning on the positive side here, Tony, so we can tease this out. One of the big things that I'm looking forward to is 2021 and seeing if England can capitalise on what I think is one of the, the best generations we've had for a while uh you know the golden generation was great but this unit seems to work quite well together in the fact that they don't want to shoehorn everything in but the same aspect is i felt like southgate has been tactically naive but he's finally used graylish the back line seems to be settled we know that kane will will probably be fit because he's had that rest period during coronavirus as well we might mm-hmm. actually have an England striker that's fit and ready for a tournament. We're not going to shoehorn in a Rooney that's half fit. We're not going to shoehorn in a Kane that's half fit. We're actually going to go in with a quality striker in form. Is this the time that the three lines can carpe diem, Tony? Can they seize the day? Can they seize this tournament? How positive are you? Great question. And of course, the answer to that is, of course they can. Um, and I'm always going to be positive. But as I've said many a time, uh, until it's shown to me, uh, I can't get enthused. But I simply hope, and I'm sure it will be the case, that they are going into this tournament believing, and I mean really believing, 
that they can win it because otherwise stay at home. I don't want to hear any excuses. I don't want to hear any gallant failures. Uh, I want everybody to be going gung-ho for this. Um, however, Jason, whilst I am always going to default to optimism, and I think you're right to observe there has been a bit more consistency in, uh, in selection. And again, it's exciting to see, perhaps begrudgingly, Grealish giving an opportunity because clearly that guy has magic in both feet. Um, really exciting to see him star, we hope, in the tournament. All that being said, I'm still not sold on Pickford as the starter in the sticks. Um, but of course, Hope, uh, or Pope rather, uh, you know, he played for Man United in defeat against uh, Man City in the uh, EFL Cup uh, the other night, but obviously hasn't been able to uh, usurp De Gea in goal. So difficult to have a case for him. There are other youngsters, but um, basically it seems that by default, Pickford will remain um, Southgate's number one, number one, so to speak. And always uh, many a conversation we've shared over the years, Jason, uh, occasionally, uh, Arsenal legend David Seaman has cropped up on numerous of those. And he was such a safe pair of hands, as you know, literally nicknamed as such, safe pair, safe hands Seaman. And it starts from the back. And I'm not convinced that, that Pickford is that safe pair of hands. So that's given me a little cause for concern. What I'll also add, whilst I think there's always, isn't there, maybe a bit of a media desire to dub something or other the group of death. If you wanted to do that, probably most people would go Group F, featuring France, Germany, Hungary, and also defending champions Portugal. However, England's Group D, for me, is a very challenging one. Uh, Croatia are a, a team that on their day are world-class. Czech Republic, um, you know, they've been semi-finalists in, in European tournaments in the past. And here's the X factor, particularly when it comes to England. I'm delighted that they are there. But Scotland, Scott Clark, Scotland in the same group, Group D as England. Scotland's first major tournament since France 98, a whole 23 years ago now. So for me, whilst the attitude and the focus, and I know it will be internally, must be victory is the goal. It has to be, like every winner understands, game by game, inch by inch. Because that Group D, again, particularly featuring that uh, uh, clash of Britain, is going to be a very competitive one, Jason. So, yeah, there are my thoughts. Any further pickup on that? Yeah, I think one of the big problems with England is going to be this goalkeeper situation. And Pickford doesn't breed any confidence in me until Dean Henderson breaks through into that Manchester United 11 unfortunately we kind of are stuck with him if I was going to choose between the goalkeepers I'd actually probably plumb for Pope from Burnley I think he's a much safer mm -hmm. pair of hands and the data shows it as well but for some reason Southgate picks Pickford week in week out um, maybe it's one of his favourites maybe Southgate is doing what so many other England managers have had as a problem in the past because this this is the old story with England that Gerrard, Scholes, Lampard uh, and whoever else was kind of in form or one of the buddies uh, of the manager at the time would mm -hmm. be shoehorned in and I get it you know they were the golden generation of midfielders but 
they should have been utilized in the best kind of fashion to play with one another or or change the formation or the tactics of the team just so you could utilize all of them properly and that's a problem that maybe Southgate is falling into with just sticking with Pickford um but what I do like is the rest of the team you know we've we've got a problem uh, at right back in the sense that Wan Bissaka and Trent Alexander-Arnold are near or frankly world class right backs. You've got Harry Maguire there, who I think is berated a little bit too much in the media. I think he is he's a classy defender, and he needs somebody who's quicker beside him. At Manchester United, Lindelof yeah. is not quick. He's not good enough really to play alongside Maguire. And his abilities are great. Tyrone Mings as a left-footed centre-back. And we know how rare a left-footed centre-back is. And the fact that he is English is a real blessing. And in Ben Chilwell, who's really come into form there. So there is a good back line to defend there. The midfield is a flush mm-hmm. with talent. You've got Rice. Uh, you've you've got Madison. You've got Graylish. You've got quite a few players there. And this creative midfielder that England have needed for a little while is there as well uh the wingers as you've mentioned sterling sancho setting the world alight although sterling not as much this year and then there's going to be maybe a problem i think kane will start but danny ings is also going to cause a problem he's got such hot form so it's positive there i'm looking forward to the other teams you've mentioned as well obviously the group of death there with portugal but do you think that this could be the penultimate or maybe the final tournament for Cristiano Ronaldo as well? Will he retire from international football to prolong his club career? Because I think he's going to want to push that 1,000 goal mark. He's going to want to pursue the Pelé record because he's close. Don't get me wrong. And I think he is as fit as he ever has been. He is one of the players that knows how to manage his bodies. But another highlight for me in Euro 2021 is to see mm-hmm. how well Cristiano Ronaldo does. And also a Portugal team that has a fairly good lineup of talent. But will they be able to repeat the successes of 2018? I mean, what are your thoughts on those two subjects there? CR7's last tournament and can Portugal push for victory? Yeah, really good uh, questions there. And first things first, um, apologies because uh, I mentioned Pope uh, for Manchester United. You're dead right. He remains the Burnley number one. And it is Henderson who played in midweek and has international calibre, although not consistent club football at this time. Um, no, it's a great question. And He's still getting it done, Jason, isn't he? CR7, you know, again, broke another club record recently and keeps scoring for Juventus. And, you know, he's just racks up the records seemingly every time he gets the ball in the back of the net. He is Portugal's all-time top goal scorer. I do believe that this will be his last major tournament. Um, But I believe that. But I would say that... If Portugal don't do as well as maybe he would like, defending champions, of course, as they are in this really, really challenging group, I would definitely refer to it as the group of death. Somebody's going to. Group F, defending champs, Portugal, Hungary, Germany, and France. Many people's hot tip to actually hold off the trophy. What a challenging group. i got a sneaky feeling, should Portugal do less than brilliantly, he may well push himself 
to a World Cup and look to, as it were, go out on one final hurrah. I think if they actually do well, maybe get past the quarterfinal stage and then you're into knockout football and anything happens, then I think this will be his uh, finale, his grand finale. What a career it's been. And you just don't write CR7 off. That career has taught me that much about him. And, you know, again, if he gets hot and it's not like he's a one-man team, there are supporting cast there, then this Portugal team who are defending champions could well be, you know, one of those teams that you really want to avoid, a very challenging one. But I'm not necessarily convinced they will even make it out of this group, a group of death, group F. France, I think, are going to definitely be on paper the favourites. But of course, the beauties of the Euros, Jason, maybe, maybe even more beautiful than the World Cup even, is that the European Championship has been won by the likes of Denmark, who didn't even qualify, uh, I think, back in 92. We've mentioned Greece, haven't we, who turned up the books in Portugal's own home tournaments a few Euros ago. So it's not always these big names that do the business at the Euros. And I think that's going to be fascinating. Who amongst maybe the smaller, quote-unquote, nations could be upset in the apple cart, maybe one to watch. So, yeah, I think CR7 will be fine. I think Portugal will be in a uh, strong position, but I wouldn't put any money on at all them actually getting past Group F. But coming back to the question in hand, in terms of unknowns or lesser nations who might be worth a watch, would it be too bold to put Wales in that category? I... I think it is a little bit bold because beyond Bale, beyond Ramsey, where is their their talent really? I, I like Wales and I think they got caught up in a really good run in uh, was it twenty sixteen now the 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 run that was yeah I think it was that tournament and yeah they had a great run. Bale they beat is a England, fantastic. Famously, didn't they? They did get to the semi finals and. You know, there's no kind of disregarding it, Tony, because I think if you're at the tournament, you're there and you can, anybody and everybody can turn up, like you said, Denmark. But Bale isn't the player he was in 2016. He can hardly get into the Tottenham team due to fitness reasons. Ramsey is not what he was in 2016. He doesn't get into the Juventus side. He's not playing week in, week out. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. the core players in that Welsh side just don't cut it. I mean, Scotland probably have more or equal of a chance because they've got Andrew Robertson, they've got John McGinn, some really good talent in those two players there. Some Premier League talent, nonetheless. Quickly so- on Scotland, Jason, I'm delighted you've actually brought them up because you've identified some of their key talents and there is lots there. Again, their first major tournament since France 98. But we've spoken about the importance of creating a culture of success And I've got such admiration for what Scott Clark has achieved in creating precisely that. And I'll tell you what it is about Scotland as well. In this challenging group, of course, uh, including England, Group D, uh, which also numbers Czech Republic and Croatia. Very, very challenging group, this one. They will embrace, they will dearly love the underdog uh, moniker and the underdog label. 
And I think you're right, Jason. I think Scotland could well be one of those teams that could cause more than a few upsets. And if they get hot, they get hot. But yeah, just give me a brief insight into your take on the role of Scott Clark in leading Scotland to their first major tournament for 23 years. Yeah, you can't praise him enough because I think the problem with Scotland has been they've gone through managers, they've had quite a few talented players go through their ranks, but they've not capitalised upon this. But what I think he's done well is is almost gave assurance to... It's, it's a fairly mixed mm. group. You know, there's some good young players in there. And like I mentioned, Andrew Robertson is a winner and he's, he's the captain as well, which I think is an yeah. important choice to give it to him. But you look at Scott McTominay, Kean Tierney, you've got Ryan Fraze in there. Uh, these are all players that are Premier League level or, or there or thereabouts. They're making their teams week in, week out. This is not kind of the, the Scotland of old where you'd say, no, no chance at all. It, obviously, it's it's not an amazing, amazing s- squad, but I would say that this squad here is probably on par with Wales like they were in the semi-final making team of 2016. Andrew Robertson is comparable to their bail. You know, he is a world-class player. And, you know, you've mentioned the home nation there of Wales. I think Scotland are the more likely to do better of them. And I think England will run furthest of all the home nations. But they shouldn't be written off. Uh, I'm quite excited to see what they get up to. I'm excited to see what Wales get up to. But... Frankly, the, the squad is a little bit better for Scotland. And it's nice to see as well. It's kind of like when you see uh, a smaller team do well in the FA Cup or something. And I'm sure Scotland fans are going to run in on me and, and run a train of, of anger. But it's nice to see Scotland do well for so long after being out of the limelight for ages. As you said, they're two decades without tournament football. This is what it needs as well. And to, to kind of cap it back to your first point, success breeds success. And this culture in Scottish football might be given a kickstart by the fact that they make a tournament. Mm. When uh, teams yeah, do absolutely. well... You watch this space. Exactly. Uh, you watch Euros this space. Uh, spread across um, 12 European cities. The final itself at Wembley on Sunday, the 11th of July. It's certainly one of the... Uh, Jaws of the crown of the calendar year 2021. Um, Jason, I mentioned Group F. And again, I'm sure it won't just be me calling this. I'm sure it will be dubbed widely the Group of Death. France, Germany, we've already referenced Portugal. And let's not discount Hungary. Goodness me, they've worked hard to be there. I suggested that France would be many people's favourites. Would they start as yours? For sure. I think France are the team to look at because they are the World Cup holders, but they they hold most of the, the best talent in the world. I think you can't overlook at the fact that Hugo Lloris, yes, he is 34 now, but he's been amazed to stay in that squad there. He's great between the sticks and a fantastic leader on the pitch. Their back line is one of the best in the world. You've got Varane in there, you've got Pavar. Uh, you've got Hernandez on the left as well. And in the midfield, I mean, you couldn't fit more talent in there. I think their problem is that they've got too much talent. Kante, Matuidi, mm. Pogba. And Pogba plays his best football as well for France because they know how to utilise him properly. He's given a proper 
forward creative role. And in it's scary, Kylian Mbappe's talent. I mean, I'm so excited yeah. to see him back again. What he did at the World Cup for a teenager. I mean, goodness me, this is Pele kind of stuff there. Uh, Germany are always going to be there or thereabouts in terms of talent. But I do question them keeping Jürgen Lowe on. I get that he's kind of there to usher in the new talent of Sane, mm. Nabri, uh, a new era of German football. And he did win a World Cup. He's done fantastic. But I think the belief in him and his systems almost got lost with, with kind of the embarrassing results in recent years. But it's Germany. They, they know what to do with football, and I shouldn't question it. I don't know if Spain have got the talent. And I do I do see England as a real kind of, with the quality of players, maybe not the quality of management, but if they don't get to at least the quarters, maybe even the semis, I think that is a failure at the tournament. I'm not sure if the Netherlands have got enough to, to go far enough. And the big problem for them is the loss of Virgil van Dijk. If he's fit, if he's able yeah. to go to that tournament, that will change things a little bit. But if I'm looking at it, honestly, I think it's going to be France, Germany, Spain a little bit, England, um, and then obviously uh, Belgium are going to be there or thereabouts as well. I think those are the teams to watch at this tournament. And they're my favourite with France to win. But how about yourself, Tony? I mean, have I missed any teams here? You know, some of these teams are playing at home. Russia are a host. Italy are a host. Yep. That will give them a boost. But I don't know if just playing at home is enough. I don't know if their squads are strong enough. Those four or five that I pointed out just seem to be littered with talent. They've got a, a truly deep squad rather than a great eleven. Yeah, no, listen, I think you've made some really good points. I would make France favourites, and I'm already enthused to see Mbappe do the business. The boy is an amazing, that young man now, as he is. Uh, watch out for Belgium, as you say. Uh, anybody who's got De Bruyne in there, Lukaku, you're going to be dangerous. And I actually think, not that it's just on paper, don't want to be disparaging. We know how challenging the Euros are. We've already mentioned Denmark have won it in the past. Uh, but Denmark, Finland and Russia, who hosts Group B, featuring Belgium, at least on paper, doesn't appear as perhaps challenging as the Group D. We've mentioned Group F, which features you are our favourites, France. Group A is also one, again, merely on paper, which you back hosts here, Italy, to get through. Again, historically, a very big team, maybe a team in a little bit of a transitional phase. Don't think there'll be anybody's favourites to win this tournament but again you do have to sometimes refer back to the weight of history and the passion that is Italy Jason I remember you wonderful anecdote where you were in Berlin uh, so you were in Germany I think for when Italy were champions and obviously you got to experience some of their uh, passion and joy sheer love for the game of football wouldn't rule them out by any means um, I'm going to slightly say I'd love to see Wales do really well. In much the same way, I hear what you're saying. Again, Bale, their bona fide megastar, is uh, still yet to burst back into the scene, uh, back at Spurs as he is. But 
again, this is now another tournament that they've made. They've already had that experience, again, reaching a Euro semi-final, knocking England out along the way. And uh, I just think if they get hot, then they could be dangerous. Belgium, for me, I'd rank them second favourites behind France. And then, of course, we all must believe that England can win because otherwise, why be there? As we've had many conversations, I'm still rather uh, confused and perplexed as to why it is the case. We haven't won anything at all football-wise since 1966. Could this be when that finally all changes? The final will be at Wembley um, this summer. Will the will it be footballing uh, coming home again? Love to get your views on all things Euros. Tweet us at Verulam Sports. Can England go all the way? Has Southgate got his team together? Tweet us at Verulam Sports. Or give us your favourites. We've mentioned Belgium, France, listed Germany and hinted towards Italy and a few others. But again, the beauty of this tournament is that sometimes it is the rank outsiders who prevail. Denmark back in 92. Greece, who would have predicted that? A few sensible bettors. Not that it is ever sensible to bet aside. Um, Greece, of course, have been champions, like I just said. So it is that kind of a tournament, and that's why we love it. That's why it truly will be one of the highlights of 2021, the final at Wembley, Sunday, the 11th of July, and I can barely wait. Please do get involved with us. Tweet us at Verulam Sports and give us your views, your opinions, all things Euro 2021. And, of course, all things in the sporting calendar. So many, unfortunately, that we're not going to be able to list and reference. So give us your views. Some of the things that are getting you enthused for 2021. Some of the key things to look forward to from a sporting fan's perspective. Again, quickest, most efficient way to engage with us is to tweet at Verulam Sport or feel free to elaborate. And email us sport at radioverulam.com. It is your show. Each and every single bit as much as it is as Now. Before I unleash my major sporting event of 2021, another one which was postponed from the crazy surreal year that was 2020, I just want to give a slight brief reference to um, the Rugby World Cup coming and uh, to England, being hosted in England with the final on the 27th of November. Um, there's only ever been three Rugby League World, uh, World Cup winners since the tournament began way back in 1954. Australia defending champions beating England in the final in 2017. They've held it aloft 11 times. Not England, but GB, Great Britain, have held the title the World Cup champion three times, 54, um, 60 and 1972. And New Zealand shocked the world, really by getting their first world crown back in 2008. The only reason I draw a little bit of attention to this uh, is because, again, it is on our home surf. And again, I'm really, really praying that come October into November, we will have fans in the stadia. And this is going to be so critical because Rugby League required government backing in the previous uh, lockdown. It is a niche sport here in England and it will have the eyes of the world on it. So I'm really hoping that this can be a real carnival of rugby league. That's um, Shane or Sean Wayne's England. He's the head coach. 
can inspire England to go one stage better than the last World Cup, where they narrowly lost 6-0 to Australia. Because again, that will capture the imagination, that will feed into the next generation of rugby league people, and the great sports of rugby league will find a way to thrive. So that's just something to look forward to on our home turf, right across the country, starting in October with a final on the 27th of November. But whilst that's obviously important there, I mentioned Great Britain have won the Rugby League title on three occasions. And it would be be wrong. It would be nothing other than wrong, quite frankly, to have a show in which we focus in on the choice highlights in the sporting calendar for 2021 without referring to the postponed 2020 Olympic Games, which will happen, touching wood, this year. 2021 between the 23rd of July through to the 8th of August 2021 it's the granddaddy of all sporting events the Olympic Games and I simply cannot wait as I say out in Tokyo in Japan it's the second time the city of Tokyo and indeed the country of Japan have hosted the Olympics the last one being back in 1964 Uh, It's always super exciting, the Olympics. Like I say, the eyes of the world literally are on this sporting festival going across two and a bit weeks. And there are some new events to watch out for. I think that's brilliant for these uh, lesser-known sports to get a shining light spread upon them, uh, as well as five-on-five basketball. Three-on-three basketball makes its Olympic debut. Debuting also is freestyle BMX, Uh, where Britain have a real contender in Charlotte Worthington. Charlotte Worthington is the European champion. She claimed bronze at the recent World Games. Watch out for her. GB's Charlotte Worthington is fighting for Great Britain in the first time freestyle BMX appears at the Olympic level. Also making its Olympic bow is Madison Cycling. Karate, I was surprised to learn. Karate is making its Olympic debut. Obviously, we know uh, judo's there, taekwondo, uh, lots of other fighting events. But karate makes its debut. Sport climbing is involved. And for the very first time, skateboarding makes its Olympic bow. I mentioned in the BMX, freestyle BMX, uh, Britain have a contender. We've also got a contender in the skateboarding event. One of the youngest people to be representing anybody, I think. Only 11 years of age. Watch out for this young girl who is hotly tipped. Sky Brown, just 11, will be fighting not for brown, but for gold in the Olympic skateboarding event, which, as I say, comes to the Olympics for the very first time. Returning sports this time around are baseball and softball, both of which return to the Olympics for the first time since 2008. The Olympics, like I say, it is the granddaddy of all sporting uh, festivals. It's going to feature 339 events across 33 different sports. And there are over 150, 153 national Olympic committees being represented out in Tokyo from July through August. Team GB, I've mentioned a few of their contenders. They're looking to build on recent Olympic successes. Indeed, they've made Olympic history in the last 
five Olympic Games, Team GB may be influenced and um, fed via uh, sport lottery funding have improved their record uh, haul across five consecutive games, going back to Sydney 2000. Again, that is a standalone record, all Olympic history. They also made Olympic history last time out, out in Rio, uh, where Team GB became the first country or uh, Olympic um, National Olympic Committee, to give it its precise uh, phraseology, to improve upon a record haul after, immediately after, hosting the Olympic Games. Of course, we know, we've eulogised it about it. I know you've got memories about it. London 2012, I'm talking about. They achieved 65 medals total back in 2012 and improved upon that in Rio, making it 67, their best ever haul. And again, five consecutive great uh, games. Team GB has improved their record haul. Can they go one better? They finished second behind China last time out, that haul of 67, meaning they finished second in the medal table. Can they go one better? I mean, the sheer weight of numbers in China means that they, of course, will be favourites. The USA, of course, always going to be amongst the most successful uh, Olympic na- National Olympic committees competing. But Team GB will be very serious indeed about being a serious uh, medal haulage uh, uh, operation in Tokyo. And I can barely wait. Jason, the Olympics, they are, I've said it, the granddaddy of them all. It's the biggest event in all of sport when it features. It's a true global event. The viewing figures across the Olympics are into the billions. And I'm excited for it. Quickly, your thoughts, your take on Tokyo 21 coming up in just a matter of months now. Just excited is the first word that I would start with. So, so excited for the Olympics. I love that time of year. And one of the funniest things about it is everybody on the TV and in your house becomes an expert on certain sports that you didn't even know existed a few nights ago. I think it's oh, so gymnastics, funny. gymnastics every year. I'm an absolute guru. <laughs> I, you know, I, I tell you, I come, I, you know, and we've done really well on that. Uh, but I would never uh, go out of my way to watch gymnastics, although uh, we do respect how well Team GB do on it. But it, you, that's such a good point, Jason, because honestly, during the Olympics, I am. A gymnastics aficionado. <laughs> yes, you, you're the one that's giving the judging from home in your seat. I love it, though. Putting that joke aside, I think what is great, again, like the Euros, it's an event that transcends the fact that it's sport. People who normally don't care about sport, wouldn't get involved, tune into it. And what is beautiful about that is then people who aren't interested in sport suddenly might find a sport that they suddenly like, they they might get inspired, whether they think that looks yeah. really cool or, oh my God, that person has such an amazing story. I'd love to do that as well. So I think the Olympics plays an important part in the fact that it inspires people to sport. And what I would say is now more than ever, sport is so, so important because we know the positive mental mm-hmm. health aspects of sport and we know that we're coming out of this terrible COVID thing. And I think if people can get inspired en masse to to get fit, take up sports, that would be great for Britain as a nation. And I think 
the Olympics could really serve as that and serve as a real inspiration and happiness as well. I think, you know, when the Olympics were on in England, obviously that had a huge, huge effect on the positive mental attitude of the country. But I think over the summer, the fact that there's two big tournaments that people have to look forward to, I think that's going to be great for the psyche of the world in general. And I just hope that COVID doesn't stop it again. Uh, just before we get into more positives and some of the people that I'm actually looking at in terms of individual sports people, I just want to take a side track onto the fact that, as you said there, 130 plus sports going into this Olympics. Some of them I question as to whether why they would be there because as a squash player, I am still vexed to this day mm. as to why squash is not there. It's one of the longest, proudest sports in Britain. Yeah. Uh, it's played worldwide and it's you know akin to tennis, easy to manage, and the rules are very clearly set. When I look at horse riding... I don't know why equestrian events are there. People are going to call me out as controversial there. But I don't I don't care because I think sitting on a horse is not as sporting as being a squash player. I think, you know, otherwise we could have dressage driving your car around. That has always, always annoyed me uh, that squash is not there when dressage is. I don't know if you've got an opinion on that, Tony. Obviously, you do have to be skilled, but dressage is is like having the Olympics of fashion walking. I don't know. <laughs> Look, Jason, I, I appreciate your point, um, but I would love you to have that conversation uh, with the wonderful Verulam Sport presenter that is Kerry Cobb, who is more au fait with the world of horse racing. I would never claim to know a great deal about it. As with gymnastics, when the Olympics is on, for me as a sports fan, it is categorised as sport and I'm falling in love with it. Uh, I hear your point though, and also find it confusing why, whilst it is the case, squash, which like you say, has global appeal, hasn't found its way into the Olympic level. Um, but I would say that the likes of dressage, again, as to whether it qualifies as a sport, that's a moot point, but it is there. The level of skill required to master it is fantastic. And also, I wouldn't really want it to be removed because historically GB have done really well in that uh, particular field. So, you know, I'm seriously glad that it is there for those reasons. <laughs> what I will say is that on this matter... I'd love to hear from you. I'm sure you've got many, many opinions. And the beauty of life, the beauty of sport is that, uh, you know, there is sometimes no right or wrong answer. That's why we debate. That's why we, you know, have differences. That's the beauty of being alive. So tweet us at Verum Sports. Are there controversial sports in there? Uh, Allah perhaps making its debut, skateboarding, sport climbing, dressage, as Jason referenced, that maybes are less deserving of an Olympic level uh, placing as for instance, um, squash, just as an illustration, tweet us at Verum Sport, email in sport at radioverum.com and do provide us with your thoughts on this matter. I'd be really keen to hear from you. Jason, again, I massively appreciate you uh, having the cojones to really kind of put that on the line like that. But one thing I will say, 
prior to that, you made such a critical point. Again, I would agree with you when you assert that maybe now more than ever, the role of sport uh, as a social cohesion uh, effect uh, for one's own mental, physical, spiritual community sense of self is even more critical than ever. And I tell you what, I love that either because that's the spirit of the Olympics, the very essence of the Olympics. And indeed, when Baron Pierre de Coubertin founded the International Olympic Committee in 1894, which led to the first modern games in Athens, the spiritual home of the original Olympics in ancient days, uh, the modern games began in 1896. And even just symbolically, those five rings of five different colors, you can all see it in your mind's eye. I know you can. Okay. Those five rings, the Olympic rings, that Olympic image signifies all five of our continents on this glorious planet uniting. And that's what the Olympics is all about. That's what it provides us. And as I say, 153 national Olympic committees are right across our beautiful globe are going to have their eyeballs cheering on their heroes across so many different sports for two weeks this summer. So briefly, Jason, again, elaborate upon the spirit of the Olympics encapsulated as it is in its very image. Yeah, I, I, can't get over the mental image in my mind of just how united London was as a city and obviously it's a stereotype it's a cliche that when you go on public transport in London everybody's just kind of there because they have to and they're all miserable but I remember this distinct image of traveling around London and the drivers would update everybody listening in Britain's won another gold and people would actually cheer in the carriages. It, it was mind-blowing. I, I hadn't seen Londoners you know, so just, happy. Just, sorry, just quickly. <laughs> I, I mean, I know nobody can actually see this. Obviously, it's podcasting just the audio form. But just you recalling that made me smile. And it is so true, isn't it? There is that sense of both on a national level and an international level of coming together. Brilliantly, brilliantly explained. Yeah, it's it's what we look forward to as a nation, those unifying moments, Super Sunday. Uh, and we talked about the Euros earlier. When England were in the semi-final of the World Cup, we were all standing on our, our feet, waiting to see if England would get to a World Cup final for the first time since 66. You know, these are moments that go down in national psyche. And if we can have some of these Super Sunday moment golds, at the Tokyo Olympics that we can all walk away with. It doesn't matter what sport. I know a bad-mouthed, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the horse-riding stuff there. But you know what? If England walk, uh, if Britain walk away with a gold there, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people across the country cheering about it. And I think that's exactly what we need at the moment. Just this non, uh, non-politicised, non-offensive, just brilliant unifying nature that sport has it it transcends barriers it doesn't matter race gender whatever political background you are on that day when you're representing your team your colors everybody unites behind you and I think that's beautiful and I do want to bring it on then because we're talking about the unity I've got two big Olympic stars or potential big Olympic stars that Mm -hmm. I want to highlight the first being the Brit Dina Asher-Smith. I can't wait to see what she does at yeah. this Olympics. She is Jess Ennis' kind of 
uh, remade. Uh, I th I, she's going to do amazing, amazing bits and somebody that we as a nation can get behind. And so that is, again, somebody there that can give us the super Sunday moments, those gold winning moments mm -hmm. that we can all look forward to. But people who listen to Verulam Sport know my love for one Jamaican superstar, Usain Bolt. And so I'm looking forward to who yep. can fill the hole in my life for the world's fastest man. For me, I do want to see somebody as the world's fastest man, without question. Because what was brilliant about Usain Bolt, again, this kind of person that transcends sport uh, and everything, is you could look at him as, you can go, the best hurdler is X. You can go... Uh, the, the best yeah. person at this is Y. And Usain Bolt had the coolest title of world's fastest man. He's basically Flash Gordon, but a real human being. And I think that's great. So whoever wins 100 and 200, or if it's two different people, then there'll be a nice, you know, co and an overt debate of who's better at, at sprinting. It, it could make some real fun narratives. If you consider it... Uh, stemming from the Olympic level, uh, from the Athenic Games. It's almost the Zeus character, isn't it? I love the Dana Asher-Smith uh, shout. Uh, and she's absolutely already got a world championship under her belt. Watch out for her. She's going to feel the pressure. But I'm sure that young lady is eminently capable of stepping up to the plate and appreciating the pressure and using it as a tool to thrive. Would say this much. Sometimes it's competition that drives success. Watch out for his USA's Noah Lyles. This guy is uh, quite a character in his own right. He's actually got embroiled in tattoos across his ribs icon. So that gives you an idea of uh, a man not short of confidence. He's the current world 200-meter champ, and he's going to go for the, the three-peat. 100 meter, 200, and obviously the four by 100 meter titles up for grabs for him out in Tokyo. Watch out for Noah Lyles. I think he could well become the Usain Bolt of these games. From a British perspective, uh, I want to give a big shout uh, and wishing all the very best to a guy by the name of Ed Lang, or Ed Clang, sorry, a cyclist. Now, he's not a household name, but He's already got three Olympic gold medals uh, through various cycling events. If he can claim a fourth, then he'll level it up with three Knights of our realm. Sir Ben Ainsley, the great um, yachtsman. Sir Mo Farah, need I say any further. And Sir Matthew Pinson's a great rower. So if he can claim a fourth Olympic gold, young Ed Clang, 34-year-old, in almost certainly his last Olympic efforts then, well, the precedent is that he will be Sir Ed. And why not? Good luck to Ed Clang there and a whole cycling team. Um, another one, though, that's um, not necessarily the fastest man, but certainly one of the most prestige events at the Olympics is the marathon. We've spoken a lot about the marathon man himself, defending champion, um, record-holding uh, Kenyan's own Kipkoji. And I think, again... I'd be surprised if there's anything other than Kipkoji holding aloft the gold for Kenya in the marathon. And if we consider the Olympics as uh, the loftiest of all sporting events, then watch out 
for pole vaults world record holder. He's actually uh, from the States originally, but representing Sweden, Armand Duplanty, who is the current world record holder, just did it a few uh, weeks ago. Um, so I think it was almost a year ago, last Feb, uh, Duplanty representing Sweden in the pole vault. They are just a few choice names. But the beauty of the Olympics is that new stars will be born. People will become household names, global megastars. Their lives will change and they will have earned that right. And I cannot barely wait for the Olympics coming up in just a matter of months out in Tokyo. Jason, we could talk about the Olympics. We could devote a whole show to it. But before we wrap this up for tonight, one final quick question to you. As I mentioned in my uh, kind of dissection of the games, Britain have had an upward trend of success. Again, this is record-breaking. They are bidding for their sixth consecutive games in which they improve their medal hall. Currently, it stands at five. That's unsurpassed in Olympic history. They were, as I've mentioned, the only team in Olympic history, or rather the only National Olympic Committee in Olympic history to improve upon a record hall after hosting their own games. So Team GB are on the trending up, but sometimes these things hit, hit a bubble and have to burst. I don't want to pour any negativity on things, certainly not. Certainly we could list a whole heap of people. You know, uh, Adam Pete is world champion at the moment. I've mentioned, of course, Lang in, the, in cycling. You've mentioned Dana Asher-Smith. That's just a three. There's so many, and I'm sure it will be a successful games. But Jason McKenna, pressure on GB again to keep that trend carrying on. Are you expecting that record to continue for an unbelievable sixth straight games? It's hard to see if it can happen because, unfortunately, unlike the powerhouses that China and America are, it's so, so hard for, for Britain, especially with the financial issues as well that the country is facing, the lottery funding, and that has, has actually been reduced uh, a lot in a lot of sports as well. You know, we have talked to um, was it a, a local uh, a potential Olympian over the fact that funding was removed from their sports. So it's, it's Marcus hard. Marcus Ellis, the badminton uh... Yeah, Marcus Ellis, great guy. We work hard. We'll get him back on the show, I'm sure. He made a record out in Rio, came back home, and as opposed to a hero's welcome, discovered that badminton had had all their Olympic funding removed. So, yeah, right, you're dead right, Jason. As well as we point to these mega stars in these mega life-changing moments, for all too many, uh, I guess there is not an infinite sum of money to go around and hard decisions have to be made. But that is a shame. Yeah, it's, it's it's a hard one. And this is where I think the British effort may fall short because the money has to be spread about. I do understand that. And some sports have to be chosen and prioritised over others. You know, the ones that are most realistic that Britain will do well in. So I think the fact that the money pool is not as big as it is in other countries and the fact that Britain does specialise in certain sports that... Uh, it excels in will mean that they'll pick up maybe cycling or, or things like that whereas america can 
can kind of compete across the board in almost every sense. And also there's this other culture in America, in China, in Russia, where university and school is kind of almost built around the sporting yeah. experience. Whereas over here, it's slightly different. And I'm not saying that either one is right or wrong. I'm just saying that's the reality of the matter. And and American athletes are, are almost given a slight advantage because it is their life. They don't have to go, right, I have to do my badminton and then I have to go to study. It's it's all part and parcel and they're, and they're gifted almost that opportunity there. One thing that I do want to end on, though, uh, a positive one, is the potential that we could see the youngest ever uh, or one of the youngest ever medalists or gold medalists at the Olympics and that she could be coming from Britain. It's uh, actually 12 year old. I think she'll be 13 now going into this Olympics. Sky Brown. And it is for that skateboarding event that you've referenced there. I mean, how amazing would that be? A record in of itself of a young British person being one of the youngest, if not the youngest, walking away in the new sport as well. I mean, that puts a smile on my face thinking somebody so young, so talented could be walking away with gold at Tokyo. The sky's the limit for Sky Brown. And uh, it's so much exciting sport to enjoy. Of course, there is the Olympics coming up, but there's oh so many others that we've not had the time to drill into. I want to get your views on all things Olympics. I know you're excited for it. Tweet us at Burham Sport and hit us up with your own personal selections for the jam-packed sporting calendar that is 2021. I want to hear from you. Tweet us at Verulam Sport. It is the quickest and indeed the most efficient way to engage with us in the digital era. If you want to elaborate on certain points, be great to hear from you via email. Email sport at radioverum.com and keep involved because this is your show every single bit as much as it is ours but for now it has been a privilege and a real pleasure to give a few choice uh moments to look out for to mark in your diary sports fans for 2021 make sure you are listening to sportscast next saturday where once again, we'll be picking up the gauntlet of a sporting topic that you choose. And that's available on Saturday, 92.6 FM between six and seven o'clock. And of course, there will be a whole heap more podcasts where this has come from. But for now, the machine, Jason McKenna, I always appreciate your time, your company and your fantastic insights into an eclectic array of sports. Appreciate that massively. I'd like to thank you for being with us uh, both on Sportcast and via podcasting and to say, keep well, keep safe. Good night, God bless. And here's to a jolly good 2021 for us all.